0: Hey everyone, it's Pastor Brady, and welcome to the Five Forks Student Ministries podcast. For today's episode, it's a little bit different than our typical episode, because usually I will record the audio while I'm teaching on a Sunday night, but because we ended up not having a Sunday night yesterday, I'm recording this today on Monday morning. So it's going to be a little bit weird. I don't have you all to interact with. But I hope you just listen in as we continue our two-week series talking about some pretty awesome Christmas prophecies. All right, so as I said in the intro there, yeah, it's a little bit weird because I don't have you all to interact with, but I still wanted to teach week two of this really cool series we have going on right now talking about Christmas prophecies. While we're looking at these Christmas prophecies, we are seeing how through God's infinite power and infinite knowledge, he is making what we would say is impossible, well, no, he makes it possible and it's really cool and so we began by doing that uh, last week when we looked at isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 and so if you missed that one go back to last week's episode and be sure to tune in but right now we're going to be breaking down two other christmas prophecies that i think are really really cool and are just crucial to the christmas story because maybe you did listen to last week's episode or you were here last sunday And you listen uh, to that, and as I was teaching you, it's like, hmm, okay, this is pretty cool, but I don't know, maybe I need a little bit more convincing. Like I could use maybe one or two examples just to really sell me on this because it still just sounds so crazy that this whole Christmas story was planned out hundreds and thousands of years beforehand. So I need a little bit more convincing. Well, I got two more examples for you. Let's hop into this first one. You see, this first example I want to give you is actually written around the same time as Isaiah, which if you remember from last week, would have been about 750 years before Jesus was born. However, this one it didn't come from our good old pal Isaiah. It was actually written by a different prophet named Micah. Now, if you want a little Bible trivia here, Micah and Isaiah, they're actually known as contemporaries to one another, because Micah and Isaiah, they were both alive at the same time, and they they wrote—they both written their books around the same time as well, so they're known as contemporaries to one another. So it's just pretty cool to see God is working in the life of Isaiah. He's working in the life of Micah. He's working through both of these two different prophets at the same time, and they both ended up making these prophecies to the same event that would occur 750 years later. It's just really really cool how we see God working. But let me now tell you what exactly Micah wrote. So here, it's in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. Let's just pause here a moment and let me ask you, what exactly is Micah telling us here? I realize as I read my notes, I can't really have you respond to this because I'm used to you doing this. But what Micah is telling us here is that he says a ruler of Israel will be born in the town of Bethlehem. And who is this ruler of Israel? Who's this going to be? And I hope you're sitting there in your car or your room or wherever you're listening to this. And I hope you shouted out the typical Sunday school answer I'm looking for, which is Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. This ruler of Israel is this promised Messiah that is coming to save us. And if you remember from last week, the name Jesus means God saves. The ruler of Israel will be God who comes to save us. Now, what I think is so cool about this particular prophecy Is because it focuses in on this little town of Bethlehem that Micah just says is a small village among all the people of Judah. It's pretty insignificant and if we're being honest the location of Bethlehem is really not that important in the grand scheme of things. Let me give you an example. You see in our area we have a high school and middle school that are known as James Buchanan High School, James Buchanan Middle School, and the reason they are called that is because one of our presidents, the 15th president of the United States, was born in that town. Now, as I think about that, it's like, well, it's really not that important that James Buchanan was born in this random small town in Pennsylvania. What was really important is what James Buchanan did after he was born. So it really didn't make that big of an impact on the grand scheme of things where he was born. And the same can be said about Jesus, right? Like it didn't really make that much of an impact where Jesus was specifically born. And yet, God made it a point to tell Micah 750 years before Jesus would have been born, he made it a point to tell him this is where the Messiah will arrive. This is where my son will meet you. And so as I looked at this, I realized, well, why is this so important? Well, to me, what I learned is, it just shows that even the smallest of details, even ones that we would say, they don't really matter that much in the grand scheme of things, well... They matter to God. He cares about the smallest of details. And so I believe that it shows us how something that we may say is insignificant at the time, it can actually be a very key part in God's overall plan. Let me explain to you what I mean by that, by reading how this prophecy here in the book of Micah is fulfilled 750 years later. So if you happen to have a Bible, Bible app, or whatever, go to Luke, chapter 2 Luke chapter 2 and I'm going to start off by reading verse 1 and I'm going to read all the way to verse 7 So Luke chapter 2 1 to 7 and it says this At that time the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire This was the first census that had been taken in quite a while And so everyone returned to their ancestral towns to register for this census And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. So he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, where they were currently living. So they traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and Joseph took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. So, what I just read right there, it's a pretty common you know, part of the Christmas story that you know, we tend to read every single year. Luke chapter two, it's part of like the core Christmas story we read nearly every year. But as you were listening to that, as you were following along yourself, did you start to see the pieces all coming together? You see, there's this census that is taking place throughout the Roman Empire. And because of this census, Joseph had to go back to his hometown, his ancestral town. Now, what's interesting is when Micah made this prophecy, the Roman Empire didn't exist at that time. But, because of this census, Joseph went back to his ancestral town of Bethlehem. And in verse 4, it said that, well, who was Joseph's, like, what's his lineage? Who is his ancestor that was from Bethlehem? Well, it happened to be none other than King David. Yeah, David and Goliath. King David is actually one of Joseph's ancestors. And so if you want to have your mind blown even more, this is actually just a little extra thing I wanted to add as a little uh, kind of a two-for-one Christmas prophecy here. But I went back and I looked into 2 Samuel, This uh, the book of 2 Samuel. It covers a lot about the life of David. But in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we see God is talking to David and he promises David this. This is 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 16 where God says to David, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And so what God is promising David right here is he is saying that, David, through your lineage, through your descendants, I will reign forever. So God makes this promise to David about 300 years before the book of Micah was written. And so if you want to put everything together, this is just so, so cool to me. If you put everything together, you have 1,050 years before the birth of Jesus, God makes this promise to David that through his descendants, through his lineage, God is going to reign forever. The Messiah is going to come through his line. And so that promise is made 1,050 years before the birth of Jesus. And then... 750 years before the birth of Jesus, we see that Micah makes this prophecy about how the Messiah is going to arrive, the ruler of Israel will be born and arrive in the town of Bethlehem. And then what we just read in Luke chapter 2, verse 1 and you know, 1 to 7, you see all of that come together. We see everything come together. And as I just look at this, it's like, this is just, it's awesome. Like when you see this, it's insane. And so I hope you just realize how cool this is because this is not just some crazy set of coincidences or anything. Like this isn't just some minor thing that just happened to line up. No, this is God's plan set in motion from the big details, but down to the small details as well. Ones that we would say, They really don't matter that much. Like, did it really matter that much where Jesus was born? Uh, Yes, it did, actually. It was a crucial part of God's plan. And so it's just so, so cool to see that. And as I just read through this and I was seeing God's plan in motion, it reminded me of one of the most popular verses that we often Uh, that we often read, one of the most popular verses in the Bible. It's Jeremiah 29, verse 11. You might be familiar with it. But this is what it says. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster. To give you a hope, to give you future. To give you a future and a hope. I mean, that is right there. That's awesome. So what I take away from that is, God is here to help guide you, He is here to guide you through the big moments, but also through the small moments, through the moments where we would say, "Eh, they don't really matter that much in the grand scheme of things. But God is there for those, those small moments, they matter, they matter. We see that in these Christmas prophecies, and I hope you see that in your day-to-day life as well, because the thing is, life can be scary sometimes, right? Right? I mean, there's a lot of uncertainties, but as followers of Jesus, we can find peace in knowing that God has it all planned out. He's got it all planned out and taken care of, and he's got your back. And so if you you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we can find peace and comfort in knowing that. But On the other hand, if you're someone who's still kind of wrestling with this whole Christianity thing, you still have some questions about it, you're just not sure, please talk to me, talk to one of the youth leaders. We want to talk to you about, you know, making this decision to give your life to following Jesus, to find this peace and comfort and knowing that he's always there for you. Because the truth is, the best decision you will ever make in your life is whenever you make that decision to bow down before the king, the ruler, the Messiah, when you bow down before him, you dedicate your life to following him, that is the greatest decision you can ever make in your entire life. And I truly mean that. And wouldn't you know, the second Christmas prophecy I want to talk about here It kind of touches on that topic of bowing down before the king. Check this out. This comes from Psalm chapter 72, verse 9, and it says Desert nomads will bow before him, and his enemies will fall before him in the dust. Now, as you process that there in Psalm 72, verse 9, I really just want to focus on that first specific line right there where it says, desert nomads will bow before him. And so when you hear that, you might be wondering, okay, what is a nomad? What's a nomad? And essentially, what a nomad is, and actually, let me just read the official definition from our good pals at thedictionary.com, but a nomad is this. It's a member of a people having no permanent abode, no permanent home, and they travel from place to place to find fresh pasture for their livestock." Now, as I read that here, that definition, it kind of sounds like the description of another word that we're pretty familiar with that we often use around Christmas to describe certain people, and it's not nomad, but when I think of someone who travels to find fresh pasture for their livestock, I think of a shepherd. I think of a shepherd. Now, in this verse in Psalms, it states that these particular nomads, which, you know, nomads, shepherds, pretty much the same thing, it states that these nomads or shepherds, they, they were wandering in the desert. They were desert nomads. And so, if you get the chance, what I want you to do right now, if you can pull out your phone, you've got laptop or anything, I want you to go to Google Maps and I just want you to type in Bethlehem, Israel in Google Maps. And I want you to look at the satellite view of that. And when you get the chance to do that, you're gonna see something pretty interesting because what you're gonna find is that that little town of Bethlehem, even right now in 2023, well, you'll see it's surrounded by a whole lot of desert. To the east of Bethlehem, there is a whole lot of desert all around it, all surrounding it. And so I just think it's pretty awesome. Because here in Psalm 72, it was written by King Solomon about 1,000 years before the birth of Jesus. And he talks about how these desert nomads or shepherds they're going to be bowing down to the forthcoming king. And this king is none other than Jesus. It's the Messiah, this promised Savior. And so, when you put it all together, desert nomads will bow before him. It's saying desert nomads will bow before Jesus. And so, as we read through that, you might be wondering, okay, well, does that actually end up happening? let's just read what happens next in the Christmas story. Still in Luke chapter 2, I'm actually going to be picking up where I left off earlier. We're going to be picking up in verse 8. Let me just read this through because I think you're going to discover something pretty cool here. So at Luke chapter 2, verse 8, it says, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, An angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. You will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, Lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem, and let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. That's Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 15. Wow. Shepherds, these desert nomads, they're guarding their flocks, and all of a sudden they're approached by an angel of the Lord to go see this Messiah, this King, their Savior, to go see God in the flesh. And so immediately they drop everything to go visit him, and when they arrive, they see Jesus is lying in that manger, and they begin to praise God, amazed at what's happened And they bow down before the king. They bow down before Jesus, the king, the Messiah. It's awesome. It's so cool. And I love this part of the Christmas story. And I love this this prophecy in particular uh, for two reasons. You see, the first reason is that, I mean, again, when we look at this Christmas prophecy, we just see... God had it all planned out from the beginning. This prophecy in Psalm 72 was written by King Solomon 1,000 years before the birth of Jesus, before these desert nomads, these shepherds would have come to go and see the baby Jesus. And we see it fulfilled. We see God's brilliance, his glory, his power. We see it shine through another one of these Christmas prophecies fulfilled. And so it's just so cool to see that. It's just so incredible. And so that's just the first thing that I really take away from this. But the second thing that stands out about this prophecy and that I want you to take away from this particular prophecy is that we see that in God's plan for how his son will arrive to earth, the one who is going to save us Well, he wasn't greeted by kings and queens. He wasn't greeted by religious leaders and great, powerful army generals or anything like that. But instead, Jesus was greeted by the lowest of the low. That would be shepherds. You see, shepherds, they are quite literally the lowest of the low on the social ladder for Jews 2,000 years ago. And yet, that's who God chose. God chose to use the shepherds, the one that everyone else looks down upon. God chose to use them. He chose to use the unhurried, the humble, the believing shepherds to see Jesus first and to bow down before him. And as I thought about this, it reminded me Of a scene in one of my favorite Christmas movies how the Grinch stole Christmas and actually referring to the live-action one with Jim Carrey if you've ever seen that before it is uh, again one of my favorite Christmas movies but towards the beginning of that movie it talks about the backstory of the Grinch and it kind of shows some uh, backstory of his childhood and what had happened and so when the little Grinch was just about eight years old in elementary school. His class was having a big Christmas party, and the Grinch, well, he had never really been a big fan of Christmas all that much, but he had a little crush on a Who named Martha May, and, you know, she happened to say, like, I hope I get a gift. I love Christmas. And, of course, the Grinch was like, well, time to get ready for Christmas. So for the first time in the Grinch's life he gets really excited for Christmas and he goes all out. He makes this beautiful, you know, angel Christmas tree topper that he's going to give to Martha May. And the day before he had kind of gotten made fun of for having a beard as an eight-year-old. And so he decides, I'm going to shave off my beard. I'm going to get cleaned up. I'm going to make this beautiful gift and I'm going to win her over. And I'm finally getting in the Christmas spirit. Well... The next day at school arrives, everyone gives gifts to everyone, except for the Grinch. He hasn't quite given his gift to Martha May quite yet. And, well, he has a bag over his head. Because something went wrong whenever he tried to shave off his beard. You see, uh, if you've never had to shave your face before and it's your first time doing it with little to no experience, it is very easy to just cut up your face like crazy. And sadly, that's what happened for the poor young Grinch. And so his face is all cut up and scarred from his poor shaving job. Everyone's kind of making fun of his Christmas gift that he was going to give. And so he just loses it. He loses it. He picks up a Christmas tree and he chucks it. And then ultimately, he runs away from town and he goes up to that snowy mountain top where he ends up living in that cave. Now, you may be wondering, Brady, why did you just talk about how the Grinch stole Christmas in this movie scene? What does that have to do with lowly shepherds and this Christmas prophecy? Well, the reason it came to my mind, and the reason it just stands out to me, is because the poor Grinch, he was viewed as the lowest of the low in his elementary school class and by people of the town. In fact, even his teacher was laughing at him. He was viewed as the lowest of the low. And you see, the typical reaction when we see someone like that, that is viewed so lowly, the typical reaction is to just blow them off, to laugh in their face. But in this particular Christmas prophecy, in this story in Luke chapter 2, you know what God says? God says, no, you are valuable and precious in my sight. In fact, you shepherds that are looked down upon by the rest of the world, I want you to be the first to meet my son, to meet your Savior and your Messiah. I mean, wow. That is just so cool to me we see God decided that they were the ones worthy of being the first to see Jesus, that they were worthy of experiencing his great love. That's what I think is so cool about the Christmas story in this particular prophecy, is that it shows that the love of Jesus, it's for everyone. It's not just for the most popular. It's not just for the most smartest, the, the most athletic, the best looking. No, it's for everyone. It's for everyone. And so as we close out this mini-series talking about these Christmas prophecies, I want you to be reminded of that this Christmas season, that the Christmas story is for everyone. Because over these next couple of weeks, you are going to be interacting with a lot of different people. You're going to end up getting with your aunts and uncles and that one younger cousin who just always happens to get on your last nerves. Well... I want you to be reminded, the Christmas story, the love of Jesus is for them. It could be here in these next week or so before Christmas break, you could end up getting paired up with that one classmate that you hardly ever talk to, that you think is just a little weird. Well, I want you to know, hey, the Christmas story, it's for them too. It could be that random customer you interact with at your job, the Christmas story is for them. It could be that person that's holding a sign by a heavy intersection that says homeless on it. The Christmas story is for them as well. It could be that one person that is just constantly making your life so unbelievably difficult and miserable in some moments and you just cannot stand them. Well, Christmas story is for them too. It's for each of them. Even when we think that some of those people may not deserve it, it's still for them. Because that's what the merciful love of God is all about. That is what Christmas is all about. And so I just encourage you, as this episode is about to end, but I want to challenge you is that I just want you to emphatically show others that same love that Jesus shows us. Show that love that he shows us. No matter who it is, I encourage you to do that this Christmas season. Let me pray and close out this episode. Heavenly Father, this is a little weird. Standing in an empty room, but Lord, I just pray for those who are listening right now. Not sure what day it might be, what time of day, whether it's two in the afternoon or two in the morning. Just thank you for those who are listening right now, students, adults, whomever. Thank you that we can still learn about you in this way through something like a podcast. And Lord, thank you just for the incredible, incredible just truth that we learn through these Christmas prophecies and the Christmas story, how we see just your brilliance, your magnificence through these Christmas prophecies and how you had it all planned out from the start. So Lord, I just pray that each of us will come just to experience that comfort in knowing that you have us taken care of. You got it all planned out. You got everything under control. Let us find comfort in that. But Lord, let us also just be reminded that this Christmas story of you sending your son Jesus, whose name is meant as God saves, well, it's meant for all of us, each and every person on this earth. Let us be reminded of that this Christmas season. May we share that with others passionately, And even in those moments when our patience is tested, may we be reminded that the Christmas story is still for them. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your Son's great, great name. Amen. Thanks for listening to tonight's lesson. As always, you can go back and listen to any previous lessons that you might have missed. Also, if you want to stay up to date with what is happening in the Five Forks Student Ministries, We encourage you to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, where you can find us under Five Forks Students. Or you can check out our website, ffbic.org slash students.